4: The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey there, welcome back. It's the latest episode of the best baseball podcast on the planet. It's the Book of Joe with me, Tom Verducci, and of course, Joe Madden. And Joe, I know we've talked a lot, you have specifically, uh, in the past about not wanting anything before your time that what is gained should be well-earned. And I think that applies so well to our guest today. It's Pat Murphy, the manager of the Milwaukee Brewers. And you talk about earning a place in this game. How about 25 years coaching college baseball, six years managing the minors, eight years as the bench coach, and now with under Craig Council, and now the Brewers manager, Murph congratulations on the job and by the way happy birthday celebrating a birthday this week I've got to ask you I know you were an interim manager with the San Diego Padres but getting the word that the Brewers were choosing you giving you the full-time job what does that mean to you
5: yeah I'm excited I really am excited uh, to be part of this uh, group of people that get an opportunity to do this Um, I've got a great group of people around me and a coaching staff and it's like it's like you've been invited to a fight, you know what I mean? There's some nervousness and there's a little fear, and then, you know what? You go okay, you make the decision. Ding! You hear the bell, and let's go.
4: Sounds familiar, doesn't it, Joe?
1: That's a great <laughs> description, right?
5: Yeah, right, yeah, I know that's
1: a great description right there. I mean, anybody that says they don't have that little bit of trepidation or fear floating in their body somewhere, they're lying. It's it's a bit it's a big part of all of this. It's a huge. Regardless of how many years you've done it, Murph, and I did the same thing. You still get to that pinnacle, that point, And when you get that opportunity, there's all those. There are butterflies for sure. There are. They'll go to rest and they'll, they'll, they'll settle down. Absolutely. And I also believe it's um, it's important that you have those feelings because it's going to cause you to create the opportunity to do your best work too. But uh, listen, man, congratulations. I love, I love. Thank you. I love that you got this opportunity. I love that a lot other guys that have been doing this for a bit have gotten their opportunities to this year. It seems to be becoming more prevalent. So anyway, looking forward to watching you, man. We did it for a while, different dugouts in Milwaukee and before, and I saw you shoot. We did clinics. We did clinics in Tennessee in the 1990s. That's right. First summer. And then, uh, and That's then right. I watched them across the field. So I,
5: I couldn't be happy for you, man. Thank you, man. I really appreciate I respect you a great deal, Joe. You know, I've come to you many times in the past uh, for advice and, seeking out. I love the way you did it. And uh, I love the way you do it. And um, yeah, the game's in our head. It's about people and it's in our head. And you exuded that every time you went out there and um, had your teams ready. It was, it was, a, it was really a privilege uh, to be on the same field. I mean that.
4: Hey Joe, let me circle back to something you said there about guys like Murph who are getting these opportunities now. And I, I think the pendulum is starting to swing back where the guy in the dugout now is being, I hopefully, revalued again for paying his dues, experience, wisdom, whatever you want to call it. I look around at the openings this, this offseason. There were seven of those, and five of the managers hired were 53 and older. Craig Council, of course, 53. Mike Schilt, 55. Bob Melvin, 62. Murph at 65. And Ron Washington at 71. Average age of the seven managers hired this winter, 57. So Murph, I got to ask you, the way the game had been trending uh, when Counts left, did you think you'd have a chance at this job? And and you also have to tell the story about how you found out that you were the Brewer's choice.
5: Well, I think it's, it's just uh, an ebb and flow of, uh, of any industry. You know what I mean? You start thinking that this is the way to go, and then all of a sudden you... You start to realize, wow. I mean, I don't joke and vouch for this. And Tom, you look like you're 33, so I don't really know how old you are. But you know, it's like you're way smarter when you're a little bit older. You're way smarter when you failed. You're way smarter when you've been kicked in the teeth a few times. Um, and so I never understood why we're we were not going with guys with a little more wisdom. Um, and it, it's it's just one of those things that that I I think makes sense in in any industry, you know, uh, but we get, we get uh, excited about the shiny new toy and, you know, that type of thing. But I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen. I wasn't, I just stopped worrying about what's going to happen. If I got this shot, I'm going to get this interview and I I just stopped worrying about it. And I just trusted in whatever's going to happen happen. Let's, let's keep our priorities, what they are, my kids, my job, you know, my health, that type of thing. And then, let it, let it, let it fall. And once I did, things fell into place. I didn't try too hard. I didn't try to impress anybody. Yeah, it was, a, it was a beautiful process for me. I, I, I'm pleased with it. Um, getting the job, I got a phone call from Matt Arnold. Facetime. I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't just Facetime other dudes. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just don't. You know, man, I don't know, I don't know what it is. Maybe the, the age that I am. So sure enough, uh, I get a Facetime. So I, I feel like I got to pick it up. I pick it up and it's his uh 11 year old son tyler and tyler's like hey Murph. now you got to know the story the real story is that tyler and i this past year spent some time in the locker room together and my job uh was to kind of teach him the lingo in the locker room some of it you couldn't bring home to mom so that became the funny thing and i would question him how many times he used certain words and um I said, as long as you have your baseball glove in your hand, you can use these words. So it, w- it became a, a, a joke between Arnold and I, like, God, Murph, my kid's home singing this and this, but he's got his glove in his hand. So <laughs> we kind of connected. And uh, then sure enough, uh, he called and said, hey, how would you like to be the manager of the Brewers? And uh, it was just it was a beautiful moment.
4: That is so cool! You got hired by an eleven-year-old.
1: <laughs> I, I just want to say something, too. There, I mean, this this uh, your your few sentences, this this, this couple of minutes with Murph indicates or um, exemplifies exactly who he is. He's an educator. The guy's an educator. That's the thing. Uh, I was writing this my notes down before this. So when you get the the guy with a really good collegiate background, especially not even more so than the minor league background, although you have both. There's the Murph is an educator. There's a difference Uh, when he just described the way smarter theory about experience uh, those little phrases that to me uh, resonates Um, as a a young player and coach coming up through the minor leagues. You're always able to recognize the guy that was more educational based. And I'm not I'm not uh, slamming or uh, uh, glorifying either side of just typically what you do and what you've always done. You've educated. That's who you are. Uh, When I did that clinic with you in Tennessee, I'm sat in the back of the room. This is, God, this is 25 years ago, whatever it was, and you're an educator. And I think that's probably what Maddie recognized with you also, and uh, your ability to connect with uh, a variety of of players in this situation from a variety of different ages because you're an educator. You have the ability to get your point across just like you did to Maddie's son and what you've done uh, by describing the way smarter just by having some experience. So that's the part I'm really excited about for you and for the industry and for your group, because sometimes that's missing. You have uh, abilities to tie things together that a lot of us don't. And I'm serious. I mean, that's when we used to talk, you always, uh, I'd, I'd listen, obviously. And God, this guy really, he does. He puts sentences together really well. He puts thoughts together really well. And a lot of it's based first being very bright, but second of all, having all these different, uh, in this sense, baseball experiences too.
3: Thanks,
1: Joe. So anyway, I just wanted to say that because that was something that I written down before, because there's a, there's a lot to be said for that. And I don't think, again, that's another uh, part of the evaluation process that I don't think we think about or talk about enough as you're hiring people. Uh, he's got a great professional background, but it's really the foundation is a great collegiate background, which uh, created the teacher that he is.
5: What's interesting about you saying that, I want to, you guys asked the questions, but what's interesting about you talking like that, first of all, I got to be honest, I've never considered myself bright. Um, <laughs> I'd love to be, but it's just, it hasn't worked out that way. Um, I always like to look at Producci and I'm like, that guy's smart. You know what I mean? And to be quite frank with Joe, I'd look at you and I'd be like, God, that's wisdom. You know, <laughs> and, and I envied you when I was in college and I watched the stuff you're doing with the Angels and all, all that kind of stuff way back when, before you were the Cubs manager, before you're Tampa Bay manager, you know, like I envied that. And again, and this is not just a hug fest here, but you know, I, I think about I think about the most important thing we can do in life, and that is to impact somebody else. Somehow. Might not even be a pleasant one, but to impact someone else. You've done that for me, uh, Joe, and how you've how you've run your clubs and how you've set an example out there. But I think those are the things that. What what else do we What else do we have? Coaches are like offensive linemen. We open holes. Hopefully the guys run through it. They score. They spike the ball. They get the attention. We open holes. Can you measure what we do? No.
4: No.
1: No.
5: No. Not at all, it, man. Right? Can't measure. It. And I think that's that's the beauty of our what we do. That's why you have to stay humble about it. Mm-hmm. You can never measure the impact you're having. You know, did you make Rizzo a better ball player? I believe yes, but can you really measure it? No? Uh, and that's what this whole thing's about.
4: Hey, Murph, if you can, um, what are the similarities, differences?
5: Hey, Murph, shut up. Shut up so you can ask the yeah, questions. Not, I get it. I get no, it. No, I mean, yeah,
4: you got me thinking now about the differences or similarities between, say, coaching a college kid, 18, 19, 20 years old, and a major league player who's, you know, got a family, maybe he's got a hundred million dollar contract. Um, I'm sure there's probably more similarities than differences, but what are the challenge with the major league guys in, in terms of reaching them and motivating them, them the way you did say with college players?
5: Yeah, totally different. Totally different because it's a new era. And like you said, now now you're dealing with a grown man who doesn't need to listen to me. Um, so you got to build a connection with him first, a trust I just got off the phone with uh, one of our young players who I love. I mean, I love this kid. He didn't have the best of overall years. But you know what? I love the kid. I love his spirit. I love what he's about. I know he can play the game. I believe in him, and I think, I think he senses that. Now, is he mature enough to go, okay, now I'm going to listen to this guy, and now I'm not going to listen to all the noise around me. But it's totally different. You know, like the younger players are a little easier, obviously, the old veterans. You know, it's uh, it's more of a challenge, and I've 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 been standing here for eight years watching it, trying to relate. Um, always haven't done a good job. Then you got to uh, relate to guys from Latin America from a totally different culture, um, and you can't you can't fool them, you can't BS them. So, yeah, what an education, what a process. You know, we're we're, we're trying to figure it out. I'm sitting here in a little dungeon here, and I'm in the stadium, and I'm trying to figure out how do I get to this guy. You know what I mean? How do I how do I get to Wilson Contreras? You know, like uh, or it's William, I guess, on our team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <should> know that
1: <laughs> the other one. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, I, how, how do I how do I really impact this guy? How do how do I help him? Do I just stay away from him? How do, how do I do this? I mean, it's so it's a it's a constant because the the baseball stuff that uh, is, is Joe can tell you way better than me. I mean, like the baseball stuff is the baseball stuff. You know what I mean? And, we've got experts now breaking it down from all different angles, but the head is the head and there ain't, you know, there ain't nothing more important than what's going on between the ears
1: Well, you just described it too. I mean, well, you just described it regarding the connection with the players and how to get across with that. That is the years of experience that you've had. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm big on blink the the book by Malcolm Gladwell about intuitive thinking and uh, what you've done for the last 40 years, whatever it's been. Um, you put all this stuff in that cauldron. All these different players that you have met, all the different situations you've been in, even the fact that you're a recruiter. I mean, a lot. Of, you know, we've never had a recruit on a professional level. You had to walk into houses and you had to talk to parents, and you you had it. You saw it from so many different angles. You were the scouting department. You're the you're the GM. You're the uh, the director of scouting. you were the charge of player development. You're all those things, and yeah. so you have all these different conversations that you've accumulated over the years. Um, not even thinking about it. So what you just described there, it's that nanosecond. It's that moment that whatever is required of that moment, whether it's you're talking about uh, Contreras and how to approach him, or this fellow you just described that you really like, that you love his spirit, but it hasn't worked out yet. But it's it's crazy because of the, the experiences that you've had, these thoughts come rushing to your head, and you have to actually slow them down and control them and compartmentalize them because there's going to be so many thoughts coming to you, and you're going to compare them. To, uh, this guy, to the people that you've met in the past, players you've met in the past, and and how the those conversations worked out. So again, I I guess what I'm really emphasizing here is the experience component, right. and the fact that you've had all these different uh, baseball moments. That yeah, this is this is, this is really beneficial to an organization when you then have these conversations with these players because you have so much to draw on. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but
4: when we get back, Joe, you're going to love this. We're going to take a trip back to the Northwest League in the 1980s oh. because I, I love diving into origin stories in the background of Pat Murphy. I'm sure we're going to get some okay. amazing stories from back in the day as a minor league player and manager
5: back right after this. Be ready. Be ready. <laughs>
6: with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Book today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot Book
0: There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
2: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year
7: Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's dot com, or download the app today.
4: All right, Murph. I, I, I gave the tease about the Northwest league. Now, you signed with the Giants and you wound up playing your first year for Salem with the Padres. How'd you go from the Giants to the Padres? Let's
5: start with that. I walked out on the Giants after like three weeks. There I was I caught my junior year in college. My senior year, I pitched and DH'd at FAU. Then I signed with the they gave me a free agent contract, signed with the Giants. I had a shoulder, I had a shoulder problem. Anyways, I went to Great Falls. I was there like um, 10 days, whatever. We're getting ready to break camp. And I get the coaching offer from Maryville College, Division Three, football, baseball. They called me in the last minute and said, look, now the baseball job's open. You can be the head baseball coach, the assistant football coach. Do you want it? And my shoulder was barking. I threw the ball okay. They were going to send me. You know, I was going to play in Great Falls for that short season. And uh, so I went to them. And I say, Hey, I'm going to take this job. I'm going to be done. They're like, well, you got to voluntarily retire. I'm like, I'm not going to voluntarily retire, whatever. They made me sign these papers. And I left, I left great falls to be the head baseball coach assistant football at Maryville. So I went and did that. Well, after that first season, football and baseball, I got the itch. I'm like, I can still pitch. My shoulder had calmed down. I went out and threw a bullpen for a guy named Dick Egan, who Joe knows. Yep. And, uh, Uh, He claims I threw it in his front yard, but I I pestered him pretty good. I threw it at the University of Tennessee. I struck out Alan Cockrell and a – you know, Alan Cockrell. They're getting ready to go to the regional. They're getting ready to go to the regional, and he got this crazy kid. Dick Egan said I did it in jeans, but uh, I didn't have jeans on. But anyways, you know, I'm throwing live to try to earn a job, and Cockrell's trying to go to the the regional, and they tell him to have these at-bats against this crazy guy. Anyway, I punch him out. He's looking at me like – Bro, this is supposed to be live VP, not you breaking off sliders. Anyways, Egan signs me. He goes, look, you got to show up tomorrow in Salem, Virginia. And it was a Padres team. And I'm like, what? And I haven't thrown to a live hitter except Yeah, for that. i got to
4: stop you there. Northwest League, by the way, you, you just missed Joe. He'd been there the previous couple of seasons. I think, Joe, you're off to Midland, Texas at that point. That's right. But, but you're playing for the Tri-Cities in the Northwest League in 85. Now, that's an independent team. They had been a Texas affiliate. They lost their affiliation. Right. You're playing games at a place called the Bomber Bowl, home of the Richland High School baseball team. That's where you're playing. Yep. You're drawing 876 people a game. Packed. I don't know if you know the story of a guy on the team named Ken Koski. This is a guy who pitched a small college in California. I remember Ken. He thought that bonuses were way too small, so he's like, forget it. I'm not playing pro ball. He goes into real estate in San Diego, marries a couple of kids. Twelve years later, he decides, I'm going to try out for the Tri-Cities team. He makes the team. for <laughs> yeah, it. That's what kind of team we're talking about here, folks. So, oh, that was beautiful. And man. he was called, by the way, the unnatural, <laughs> Ken <Kosky> was. <laughs> I love uh, that. So, I mean, how did you wind up actually managing the team as well?
5: Bobby Brett owned the team. Ken's, uh, Kenny and uh, George, he was pretty good. Uh, Kenny and George and Bobby and John, Brett, they and own, yeah, they own that, yeah. that team. And uh, I was there the year before and uh, pitched for them and had to leave early because I was coaching football uh, in a new school in California, Claremont College. So I became the same position, assistant football, head baseball at Claremont. But they called me and say, hey, you want to come back and, and be the manager? I said, Sure. You know, I'll do it, Bobby. And um, so they they uh, made me the manager. But they said, we're going to be a co-op team. No independent players. We're just going to be co-op. Oh, well, I was disappointed because I know co-op meant they're just – other teams are just going to lend you players. We opened the season. This is a great story, and this is true, and you can do the do the research on on the, on the numbers. We opened the season against Spokane, one game at home and one game on the road. We had 14 players. We had nine position players and five pitchers. Well, that wasn't going to do it. So, in the first, the second game of the season at Spokane, second game of the season, we're down nine to nothing in the ninth inning. Rob Peachlow is the opposing manager, God rest his soul. (laughs) Um, And we're down nine to nothing. Bruce Keeson's my pitching coach. He leaves in the eighth inning. He's so disgusted that we only have 14 players, and he committed to doing this. Bruce Keeson, the great Pittsburgh Pirate, God rest his soul. Anyway, he leaves in the eighth <laughs> inning says, Murph, ain't doing this. Rand- Randy Smith, who later became the player development guy in, in uh, San Diego, was doing the radio. <laughs> and we, I put myself in the pitch in turf shoes because we didn't have any other players, and I didn't want to use my rotation for the rest of the week. So I put myself in the pitch in, in the eighth inning. Ended up pitching four and a third, or four and four and two thirds, something like that. You got to check the box score. Four and two thirds. We tie the game with two outs in the ninth. We score nine in the ninth to tie the game. We win the game, <laughs> eleven to nine, and that's that's true in eleven innings or something like that. And um, I ended up pitching four innings. That was my first managerial win. Wow! Book it. The Tri
4: City Triplets. They go 26 and 48. That's a record. Staff ERA was 5.59. Trippy the Trout. This is really your first, I know you coached in college, Murph, but it's really your first managing gig. I mean, it's you got tested that year. There's no question about it. Did you know at that point that you were in the right spot, being a, a manager in professional baseball?
5: Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been a head coach for two years in college, and, we, you know, I knew that this is the direction. Now, now, I got to be honest. Many people said you need to stick with football. That football is your deal. You you can, you have a demeanor and you're the way you go about it. And I didn't know jack shit about coaching. I got to be honest. I I didn't know anything. You know, I'm a young kid and I'm just banging around and just trying to do whatever. And I hear this thing called coaching. You're like, yeah, I'm supposed to tell everybody what to do. But I kind of did it like a football coach. Then I get the job at Notre Dame. They they were like a club program, you know, no scholarships, all that kind of stuff. And in my heart and soul, I love Notre Dame so much. I was so blessed to be there. It was a part-time job, but I didn't care. I just, I wanted a coach. Now, was I inappropriate? Was I too much? Was I like a football coach? Absolutely. But my heart and what I really wanted was Notre Dame baseball to be great, not Pat Murphy to be great, just... Notre Dame baseball would be great. And that was just so congruent that we ended up winning big. And Notre Dame baseball became kind of a national power here without scholarships. It's kind of a cool story. And I did it with with great people, just great people. And I believed me, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was just driving, 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 driving. But my real intent was to help Notre Dame baseball be great. And by the time that I decided to leave. Notre Dame Baseball had been in three final sixteens in a row without full complement of scholarships with just great people, dealing with a psychotic coach who just wanted just couldn't get off them. I just I wouldn't I wouldn't take my foot off their neck. One of them was Craig Council. I thought he'd never speak to me again. I was so tough on him. But it worked. And then I started to learn a little bit about coaching. Once I got to ASU, and you're in that six pack and you got Mark Marcus and, and, and Mike Gillespie. And I don't know why. Nobody likes me. You know, I'm a jerk to opposing coaches. I can't, I can't understand it. But I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have – my college coach, Steve Traylor, was, was wonderful, still my great friend today. And he, he encouraged me to go into coaching. But, like, like, I didn't really know how to do this thing, man. I, I just had no idea. I was a bull in a china closet to say the least, but I was winning games. And I go out and talk and my number one talk these days is be careful coaches. If you're winning games, don't think you're a good coach because it doesn't indicate you're a good coach, especially on that level.
4: Well, I love hearing that story. First of all, it's fascinating. As you mentioned, you really didn't have mentors. You kind of were learning on your own how to do the job. I think that is very unusual. But we talk a lot on this podcast, Murph, about pure intentions. And when you go after something with pure intentions, not a self-driven agenda or an underlying, agenda, it's it's rewarding when good things happen. It sounds like that's exactly how you went about coaching and managing—was not to promote yourself to start climbing the ladder, if you will,
5: but in this case, to make Notre Dame great. It really was. It was as pure as it could be. I was making seven thousand dollars a year. Seven. That's 1988. I'm making seven thousand a year, and I could care less. The guy came into me with, and he brought me my first paycheck. Brian Bullock. He brought me my first paycheck, and I, I, you know, multiplied. I figure I get paid every two weeks. I multiplied it by twenty-four. He goes, no, 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 Murph. That's by seven. <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, what? He goes, yeah. It's all we. It's all we have. That's the stipend for the the head coach. Wow. No assistant coach money. No recruiting money just got in my car and drove. And the guys know it. I mean, I got great friends in the game that, that know that I just drove my car and, and, I didn't know what I was looking at either, but I was nonstop. It was uh, the, the woman of my life. Michelle is now, at, she's from Hawaii. She never, never had been uh, uh, to Notre Dame. She's still there as a tenured professor.
4: Wow.
5: Um, and we're still great friends. She's still there. She. She got it. She decided to get her PhD in in biology and genetics. And she's still there as a tenured professor. And uh, God, what a story. She had never even, she heard of Notre Dame, but she was a student at the Claremont colleges at the time. And uh, I met her when she was a graduate assistant in volleyball and um, we were together seven years. And she, she laughs about it now telling me like, you know, you were just so committed. You motivated me that, I started thinking like I need to be like this. What she didn't know is I had no idea what I was doing. I was just, I was just seven a.m. to midnight every night, just worried about making Notre Dame baseball great. But the, you know, the ego, the ego starts to get in there when you start winning a bunch of games, and we won right away. And and uh, of course, it wasn't that hard to do that. But because of you know, midwestern baseball at the time was not that good, and I had great kids. I had the, the, the right kids. And uh, anyways, your ego starts trickling in there a little bit. And then by the time I got to ASU, it was a lot about myself. And um, that held us back. We did become, you know, a great national program and back to the World Series a number of times. But but it was still a little bit too much about me. So, um, yeah, you learn those lessons and it ebbs and flows. And it's just, it's as Joe can tell you, it's constant. Uh, this profession is so wonderful. It's so incredible that, um, you know, it teaches you everything you need. And, uh, I just, I'm so passionate about young coaches, about them, you know, getting it right because, uh, they're so, it, it's such an important position, especially in high school and college. It's so important.
1: That's a, a great recap, honestly, of, um, uh... Pretty much everything. I mean, the, you're, 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 everybody's feeling the passion that Merce got for this situation, for this game, um, all the different stops, all the different uh, lessons. And the fact, you know, when, without the mentors, I mean, that's the thing that uh, I really see as being important and valuable today in today's game. I'd like to see more of that. I'd like to see more mentors within the minor league, not necessarily for players, but I'd like to see more mentors for coaches. I don't think that we're hiring enough former major league or, or professional-caliber coaches, players, and go back to the minor leagues and pass the game along to the next group and next generation of coaches. Um, I'm still concerned that it's too much data-driven regarding what we're teaching and how we're teaching it, and I'd really like to see some uh, very
5: uh, strong, good baseball. It's got to change, yeah, Joe. that's— It's got to change, you know, because— because we know the next phase in this game is psychology, right? Like mm-hmm. we don't really know. Right. Like mm-hmm. I don't know about your specific cases and your, your teams, but the sports psychologist, mm-hmm. it's a very mm-hmm. tough spot to put him on a major league bench and help him. So we got to educate, mm-hmm. in my opinion, we got to educate coaches on how mm-hmm. to become that psychologist themselves and how to how to help young people. I'm not, I'm not talking about serious mental issues where – you can go to your employee assistance guy. I, I get it. I'm talking about the mm-hmm. psychology of sport mm-hmm. and just how you how you're going to handle yourself day to day. I think we need to educate coaches so we can do that. Then the data can help us. It does help us. I mean, the data helps us. There's no doubt about it. But it still comes down to people. This game's played by people. It will always be played by people in that person's mental state, including the manager and coaches. That. Those mental states are vital. And if we can keep them at a great level, we've got it. And I think that's the next wave, even though it can't be measured. I think the emphasis has got to be there.
4: That's a great point, Murph. I think what you're talking about, and we've talked about a lot here on the podcast, is is teaching and what coaching means. It doesn't mean just passing along data. We all love the data and we know how useful it is, but there's another skill associated with it, and that's the delivery of it. No doubt, And it sounds like you see yourself as an educator more so than as a quote unquote major league baseball manager. And I'm, my guess is that's, that's not going to change now that you are a manager of the Milwaukee Brewers.
1: Merce got one gear, Merce got <laughs> one gear, man. Things aren't, things aren't changing. You're, this is who he is. This is a perfect uh, read indicator of who this man is. This is not going to change. This is exactly what it's going to look like that first day of spring training um, in the Milwaukee Clubhouse in Maryvale this year. It's going to be exactly the uh, same. This is who he is, and that's wonderful. And the game means more of that.
5: Thanks, Joe. Appreciate you.
1: Yeah. Well,
4: tell me about your team, Murph. Uh, the Brewers are in kind of a kind of a strange spot here with no uh, Brandon Woodruff. Uh, you've got Corbin Burns and Willie Adamas entering their last year under contract with Milwaukee. Get some good young players coming up in the minor league system. What excites you about this group in twenty twenty four? And, I, and, and, listen, I know we still have the off season in front of us. Things can change. Right. But as we sit here today, what do you
5: like? I mean, the young energy is just it's, – it's incredible, man. It's uh, – you know, I love the – I just love it. I love the young energy. You know, like these guys are willing. I think they can be, uh, they can be guided a little bit. Um, they're at that good phase. Um, they're at that good phase of their career. They're hungry. They're willing to, to do whatever. We've got some kids with aptitude um, that 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 they're exciting, you know. And um, yeah, and we got the good veterans. I mean, Yelich. If you spent time with Yelich, you just you love this guy. I mean, he's humble beyond belief, and he's a baseball player. You know, when you start you start realizing what this guy's accomplished in the game, and how long he's played in the major leagues, and how long he's done it at a pretty consistent level. His bad years are decent years, you know, like he's just really, really consistent and he does it in a way that doesn't really light up the, the analytics because he doesn't hit a lot of fly balls. He, you know, he, he hits line drives and ground balls. He hits the ball the other way. He runs the bases, but Hey, he snuck in there that 40 home run here another 30 plus home run year or whatever. And, you know, you start to think, wow, he can, he can do that every year. But, um, no, he's, uh, He's a great veteran to have, and you know we've got losing Woody. Um, Joe, you've got a guy in your career that, that you can look at and go, "This was a dude, man. I mean, and he and he was humble and still hungry, and it was all about the right stuff. Um, he's all about the right stuff, and he was just getting better. So to lose him to injury, I still got this twinge of hope that somehow we sign him." Uh, even though he can't pitch this year because he's so influential in our locker room. and doesn't try to be, but he just, it's who he is. Big wool, He's beautiful.
1: Sounds
4: like Johnny Lester, Joe.
1: Yeah. I mean, like there's, there's those guys uh, we've all had them. Uh, there's, and again, you're talking about immeasurables, the, just his personality is his, his uh, just being his presence within the group, the difference that makes within that group. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that I really uh I have paid a lot of attention to and I know you have also. And these are the kind of things that again, try to measure this up and it's hard. How do you, how do you exactly measure that? We'll put like, we'll say he's got 80 makeup, but how do you break that down? And does everybody gonna listen to you? Uh, It's so important to have those guys within the group uh, beyond the actual, of course you have to have talent. Of course you have physical talent. You have to have good players. Yes, but once you get all that stuff lined up, I like David Ross uh, being my backup catcher in 2016 as an example. Uh, Johnny Lester, when he came over, that was that's still one of the best free agent signs of the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Doesn't get enough uh, uh, press or talked about often enough. Johnny Lester was that much of a difference maker. You want Johnny Lester in a big game. Um, So these are the kind of things and guys that when I was at the Rays in 2008, we got over the hump because we had good players. We got Andrew made some nice trades, but then here came uh, Cliff Floyd, uh, Troy Percival and Eric Kinski all at once. And they, they they just totally turned our clubhouse around. So you had a bunch of nice young players, but without those three guys, even in yeah. limited roles, right. um, could not have done it, could not have done it. So those are the kind of things to me that I think needs to be, um, to pay more attention to. I mean, talent's always going to be the overriding factor, no question, but you have to have the glue guys to bring it all together to make it work.
5: Oh, that's interesting. That's a good day for me to hear that. I'm going into a meeting at three thirty with our front office and, um, yeah, good day to hear that because that's, that's really what we're, we're sitting on that. You know, we're sitting on that. But interesting side note, Joe, um, yes, got to tell you this, our, our lives are connected. We at ASU, uh, signed John Lester to come and play for us as a two-way guy, Real, uh, right. Out of Seattle. Yeah. Two-way. I mean, he could, uh, I thought he could swing the bat. I know he had a rough start, but, um, that's two of I us. I
1: love this swing. I said, Tom. I tell people Johnny's going to hit, and he had like <laughs> over over a thousand. I said, No, no, this guy's got a good swing. Then all of a sudden, he starts he popping balls in the left central. Did you ever see him hit a golf ball? No, out, no. A, out of sight. Really? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm no, I'm, no, I'm on no. the same bad wing with. I've always thought Johnny Lester, could. and he was one of the, he was possibly the best bunter I had on that team in Chicago. He was the best bunner
5: So we, I flew my assistant to seattle to see him play flight delay one thing leads to another traffic in seattle didn't realize it or traffic wherever I'm trying to think of the town he was from anyways he then got there he said murph i saw one at bat and i saw one inning pitching um i said what do you think he goes i think it's real and uh, <laughs> everybody around here says it's real whatever and he came for a visit we signed him to uh Scholarship they issue and Boston took him in this as their first pick, but it was a second round pick. Wow! And um, yeah, I've always kidded him after that, like Lester. I know you can hit, man. And then we couldn't beat him when when he was in Chicago against us. You know, he had the trouble mm-hmm. picking off and had the trouble throwing the bases and all yeah. that. And we had all these plans, and the guy would just end up. Beating, he just beat us. He he put aside that, and he just throw that cutter. You know, backdoor cutter down and in-cutter, yep. up and in-cutter. I mean, he just he dominated us. He's a mental monster. I loved it.
1: We got by that by just telling him, uh, don't worry about the runner. Do the things okay. that you do do well. You step off. You could step off, right? right? You could you could quick step, and you could pitch out. Do those three things, and don't worry about the runner. And that's how we He
5: was 1-2 to play. He was 1-2 to right, play. Right, exactly. So, what are
1: you going to do? And then the, the runners yeah. would get such large leads, they felt – they're in in an area that they felt so uncomfortable with it that they could not. And then you have Contreras picking on the backside Nobody even gave Wilson enough credit for the back pick right there. Oh. That really that really tethered runners to the first base. I know we're going off in a diatribe right here, but, yeah, I'm a Johnny Lester guy. Yeah, he's beautiful. Big time.
4: Hey, Murph, two more quick questions for you. Number one, I got to know what number you're wearing as manager of the Brewers because, this <laughs> was it a couple of years ago, you had number 59, and you gave it up for John Axford when he came along, and for some reason you took number double zero. Right. So are you keeping that? Or- they gave me double zero.
5: I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, it fits. <laughs> Milky uh, Shoger, our, our uh, clubhouse manager, or whatever he's, he's vice president or something now, but uh, I give him a hard time. Um, Milky gave me zero zero, and then I uh, they said to me, manager, what number do you want to wear? And I said I started at Notre Dame. Same situation. I started with twenty one. Roberto Clemente. And uh, I said, is 21 available? It seems like too good of a number for a manager. You know, like, you know, I don't want to take away a player's number that, you know, it's a, it's a pretty nice number, 21. So I showed up for the press conference and they had number 21. <laughs> so, yeah, there it is. Very cool. Half of 42. Awesome. I wore 42 at ASU and uh, 21 every day.
4: Well done. I love that story. I love when there's meaning behind those numbers. And finally – I can't wait for how many times, 13 times is going to happen. When you manage this year against the Chicago Cubs and you look across that diamond and there's Craig Council <laughs> trying to outwit you, what is that going to be like, Mark? That won't
5: be hard. <laughs> uh, I mean, counts, counts a uh, 37 year relationship, uh, Council and I, and it's taken on so many forms. As a 17 year old in Milwaukee County Stadium working out while I was eating dinner with Sal Bando. Uh, hitting, hitting on the field with Sal Bando Jr. and I'm watching from the from the suite um, to player at Notre Dame to friend uh, going through the minor leagues to living together in Arizona um, when he played for the Diamondbacks, meeting Michelle, his wife, who's definitely his better half. Um, you know, to just knowing all his kids and then becoming his bench coach. You know, watching him. His first first, uh, first, try at coaching, you know, and uh, watching him and, and really just learn. I mean, I learned a great deal. I, people called me his mentor. Believe me. Believe me. I learned so much from him and watching him do it. He, he taught me the major league game. Um, yeah, it's a... How's it going to be? I, I don't know. I don't even think about it. It's going to be
1: weird. It'll be weird. That's right.
5: Yeah.
4: For you, Joe, when you were going up against, say, Mike Sosha after you got the job with Tampa, yeah, what was exactly. that like?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it is. Um, I think you know, there's a little bit higher level of uh, mental acuity at that point. Uh, just being honest, you just go into it that way. I think maybe after the first couple of meetings, it'll relax a little bit, but the first couple of meetings in, um, even like going back to Anaheim Stadium for the first time when I went to the Rays, was like, wow, I got, I got kicked out of the first three games that I managed at Anaheim, I think something like that. <laughs> play at first base, a couple of arguments with the umpire, close play. We were terrible. I mean, that was a devil Rays We were awful. But I got kicked out, I think, three games, and then eventually things settle in, and then you start kicking their butt. So um, that's just how it works. But it's, it's called being a human being. You just can't help it. Right. And like you said, right. you're just going to go do it. You're going to go do it. Uh, you're gonna tell yourself to to be chill, do this, whatever. Breathe deeply. But when the game begins, or uh, as you see the the Cubs on that side, and there he is standing there, it's just natural, and you'll get over it. Yeah. You'll get over it.
5: It's just it's not about me. You know what I mean? Like that's what I'm thinking about. Like it ain't it ain't yeah. counts versus me type of thing. Right. It's just that's right. You know, I had my heart attack. Counts is at my bedside for like four hours. I had to kick him out of the kick him out of the room. So counts, get out of here, man. Let's go. You got better things to do, and i, I mean, I'm fine. And uh, I mean, he's a beautiful man. Uh, we'll be friends for life. This—this little—you know—how many years we go against each other ain't gonna matter. And we might get pissed at each other. So what? I was pissed at him half the year, every year. So it doesn't matter. You know, we'll—we'll we'll, we'll always come through. We—he uh, means a lot to me. His family means a lot to me. And uh, but this is—this is what we do. Um, and we'll compete each other like against each other like crazy.
1: Fun.
4: Can't wait for it, Murph. This has been a pleasure, man. My from, pleasure. From Tri City yeah. Triplets to the Milwaukee Brewers, it's been quite a journey, and it's the good parts only just beginning now. I'm sure it just keeps getting better. Thanks wow, so much thanks, for your man. time, and best of luck in wow. 2024 and beyond.
5: Thank you, thank you. I, lo- I love you two both, man. It's really, really cool getting to know you guys. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Murph. To you and your family there too. All right, buddy. Thank you, to, to you also.
4: All right, Joe, this has been a great visit with Murph, and we're going to wrap it up with some closing thoughts right after this.
2: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my, look at that. He is.
4: Welcome back to the Book of Joe. And uh, Joe, that was as fun as I thought it would be. Murph is just a true gem in this game. And the Milwaukee Brewers, I give them a lot of credit for giving him the job. A guy who obviously has been there under credit council for eight years, knows the system, knows the player, easy transition to make. But in this day and age, I give them credit for stepping up and hiring the right guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, just by listening to this entire podcast, you find out who he is, and and who he is is pretty much the guys that I grew up with, Uh, that kind of conversation, that kind of banter, that kind of experience level, that kind of passion for the moment, um, and having so many different ideas, and ability to convey those ideas. That's what I really have always uh, liked about Murph a lot, like he talked, we used to talk Uh, constantly before games on the sidelines by the batting cage. You'd come by my dugout or dugout and it was always, uh, stuff, just stuff. Let me run this by you, that kind of a thing. And, uh, it's just so straightforward and it's nobody's worried about anybody hurting anybody's feelings. It's just so pure, like pure intentions. And that's, that really comes through. And that's what I really love about, for lack of better phrase, a real baseball guy that's been doing it forever. Um, it's in his blood. It's who he is. Um, and, that's, and he, this guy survived the heart attack a couple of years ago, and, and now he gets this opportunity to uh, become a major league manager because he's earned it, quite frankly, he's earned it. So anyway, it's he's all those things, and he is a throwback, uh, but he's also very contemporary. Like he talks communicatively. This guy really um, is able to draw analogies and create uh, mental pictures. I think that's really going to resonate with these young players, and that's what I've always I enjoyed about my conversations with him, too.
4: Yeah, you know, while you were saying that, I'm nodding my head because so many times I'll, I'll cover a Brewers game and I'll find Murph in the dugout or by the batting cage. And the same thing happens. Mm-hmm. Very easy to talk to. A great communicator. Mm-hmm. Uh, knows what he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he doesn't have too much pride where he doesn't want to ask you right. questions. He always wants to learn. And I think that's the key to remaining relatable and current. So when you have a situation where you have all these this years of wisdom, again, 25 years as a college coach, six years managing the minors, eight years as a bench coach in the major leagues, when you've got all that wisdom and you are current and contemporary, man, that is some combination. And, and again, give Matt Arnold credit for making the hire because a lot of these younger GMs are more comfortable hiring like-minded younger managers. And some get, yeah. I, I think personally, some get either intimidated or just don't find the older managers relatable mm-hmm. to the way they look at baseball. And I give the Brewers credit for hiring a guy who, let's face it, I think he's going to make an impact on this team. And, and you look at the the way the game is trending, Joe. Mm-hmm. The last three teams to win the World Series, look at the managers. Brian Snitker, Dusty Baker, Bruce Bochy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the game is coming back here, where it the game belongs to the players. Uh, when it when it comes to the rules, younger, more athletic, more dynamic, faster pace. At the same time, I think it's coming back in terms of the dugout to valuing experience as well,
1: and, and the type of game that's being um, enacted during the course of the game. Uh, really, what it, managers that have done this before, and I've always said it's really when I ever managed against a guy that used to manage in the minor leagues at some point, um, you had to be on your toes. This, this guy's not going to miss anything. My point is that Murph will, if there's an opportunity to try or do something in a moment, it's not going to get past him. It's not going to be like, Oh man, I wish I had done that. How did I miss that? You don't do that because you're always in advance of it and he's going to see things. And it's, it's really, uh, it's good. It is good. And, I'm very happy for him. We've been talking about that. Uh, I agree with you. He's going to bring a real uh, a real source of energy. You plug into Murph. You absolutely plug into Murph. And again, like he kind of intimated. You have to have a little bit of thick skin here now. He's going to tell you what – he's not going to tell you what you want to hear. He's going to tell you what he really believes and thinks. He's a truth teller, and and that's the part about him that I really dig also.
4: Well said. Uh, and speaking of well said, you always close our episodes uh, with words of wisdom. So what do you have today for us, Joe?
1: Well, I knew who the guest was going to be right. And so I was just hanging out here in my little, uh, new place down here in Tampa for the next five months. And, uh, I said, okay. So I used the word persistence and I, I went through a couple of different things and it really came how about old Ben Franklin had it way back in a day, energy and persistence conquer all things. There you go, Murph right there. I mean, the guy's been nothing but a ball of energy and you cannot be more persistent than he is. Uh, whether it's things that he knows and feels good about or things that he's seeking to gain more understanding and knowledge about. So that's who he is. He's a ball of energy. He's, uh, he's like the socket in the wall right there. You plug into him. And I promise you, he's going to be like that every day.
4: Energy and persistence. I love that. And I think if you're a Brewers fan, that's how you can expect your team to play next year under Murph.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree. 100%.
4: It's been a lot of fun, Joe. Thanks for joining We'll see you next time.
1: Thanks, brother. Appreciate it.
4: The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through.
3: The